Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me on this special episode. Um, I want to open up a discussion on race amongst my listeners and my friends. In the beginning here, there's going to be a lot of I statements um, because I think it's important to clarify, you know, where I'm coming from and how this came to be my idea anyway. Um, these last couple of weeks, uh, I've taken a lot of time to examine who I am and how I feel about the things that are going on in this country. It started with my disgust at another murder of an unarmed black man in police custody, but then began to spiral into the larger picture. Uh, like so many people, I began to question what my beliefs and values are. I began to try and educate myself on issues I should have taken more time to educate myself on in the past. And truthfully, my school system should have educated me more on them as well. But I mean, that's just part of a larger problem, which I'll get to in a minute. But, uh, you know, initially I felt helpless. Um, I began to cast a lot of shadows on myself and I'm still weary of going out, especially in large groups because of coronavirus and my autoimmune disease. Um, so I didn't feel like I would be safe uh, protesting, which is what I wanted to do. And then that lack of safety that I that I felt um, led me to feel even worse because I knew that the root of the issue we're protesting is the fact that most black people don't feel safe in a lot of situations that I take for granted. Um, I felt a little solace knowing that I am aware of my white privilege, but you know, that's not enough. Uh, it is important to at least accept and, and acknowledge and be aware of that, but I needed to do more. Um, so I shared my thoughts of helplessness online and so many others reached out sharing my feelings, which, which is motivating, you know, so I, I woke up the next day uh, feeling that motivation and I made a plan to use my time to benefit the current situation in some form. Uh, I found an organization, well, a number of organizations, um, obviously Black Lives Matter. Um, I chose Campaign Zero. There's, there's a number of organizations, um, but... I found an organization that was attacking kind of the root of the problem in the police force and set up a benefit show to play online, which I would match all donations made during the show. Um, my goal was 200 bucks and, and we did that. So we raised $400 on Friday afternoon, which, you know, I feel better, uh, about that, but I mean, it's, it's a little better. Um, it's, it's one thing, but as time went on, you know, I felt myself still filled with anger and, and a need to like better understand what was happening. Um, and, and I think it's important that that's okay, that we want to understand better. And I think it's good to admit that we don't understand as much as we might say we do. Um, anyway, so, you know, I mindlessly scrolled through social media over the next couple days. And I would single out profiles of people that post random crap on a daily basis, but never once mentioned racism or police or George Floyd or anything I felt like was important. And it was frustrating. And it, and it, it put me on, on a defensive. I felt like I was on a mission and I don't want to like specifically call people out, but how do I address that? Cause I think the silence is loud, you know, but, um, I also took some time to look inside myself and I got, a little depressed again at my lack of action. I thought about myself as a teenager, you know, eager to be on the front lines of the fight against racism. I attended sponsored anti-racist punk shows and I educated myself regularly through zines in the closet. 
of my friend and my buddy unrelated my buddy ian's bedroom was a walk-in closet and we'd hang out in there and listen to records and read zines and go to shows and but i thought of myself uh then you know because i thought i was i was great i was active um i had that passion and that motivation and i thought of myself in my 20s i was living in los angeles uh, actively taking a stance against racism and george w bush and a plethora of other causes you know i was in my 20s that's it almost feels like, you know, that's what you do in your 20s. Um, and then I circle back to myself today and sitting on the sofa, you know, scrolling through Facebook. My donations, like, weren't enough. And it was important to capitalize on this momentum. I knew that. I know that. It still is. This is, this is so important. I mean, if you can go out and protest, there were two straight days now of protests in downtown Clarkston where I grew up which is like a small white community in the middle of white County. But you know, change happens from that consistency, but you know, there's so much going on right now. And it's so important to recognize that these protests that are now happening, like across the entire globe, uh, multiple countries, they do create change. The longer they go on, the more people have to listen. It wasn't until they protested that, that they arrested the cop that murdered George Floyd. And it wasn't until it continued into almost two weeks, uh, or into the second week that, that, you know, they arrested the other three cops. And as we near the third straight week of protest, I can only hope that more people are doing what I did next. So a lot of people have, uh, offered up uh, obviously, like I mentioned, or organizations you can donate to, and uh, there's books you can read, there's films you can watch, there's there's a lot you can look into and educate yourself uh, better on uh, the real issue here. So I took some of those outlets that I utilize the most, you know, my TV and my phone, and I sought out new resources um, using some of the recommendations uh, from people online. And on Netflix, I watched The 13th. Um, 13th is an eye-opening documentary on how the clause of the 13th amendment that prisoners can essentially still be slaves has been used to still enslave black people since it was enacted. Uh, I learned a lot from that documentary. I felt <laughs> it was heavy. Um, it was, it was really, really heavy and it, it's hard. I, I, I mean, that's, for me, it's nothing, you know, like, but the problem is hard. You know, I, I learned a lot from documentary. Okay. I, there's some stuff I knew, like, I know how the war on drugs is literally a political ploy by white men to imprison more people of color. Like I've known that from all the things that I educated myself on before, but I didn't ever think about how the policies that were enacted crossed party lines. Like I never thought about the three strikes rule and mandatory sentences that Bill Clinton passed. I never thought about how this issue isn't one-sided. Like it's not partisan. It's, it's a racial issue. It's it, white liberals, white conservatives, uh, for decades. I mean, for, uh, for centuries, obviously, but they've, they've changed the wording, you know, so they're not just flashing around the N word and they're, watch the documentary. Um, but I, I, 
I never thought about it, how, how it's, how it isn't one-sided. And I thought about it plenty out of context, you know, especially right now when the country is so divided and the leader of the Republican party is also the poster boy for white supremacy extremist groups. But I never thought about how it was deeper than that. I didn't piece together that the rhetoric being spouted today is identical to the rhetoric of the Nixon era, even though both presidents were impeached. (laughs) But the point is watching the 13th, um, while it did help to educate me, it only made me feel more helpless. And the, and this problem is too big. It's, it's so big. Like once you really figure out where it, it it's so, it's so big and it's, it feels heavy. Like just talking about it feels real heavy and it's ingrained into our country so deep that I worry that there is no starting point. Our country is so centered on economic success and on the backs of the imprisoned people who have been, you know, stripped of all rights, including the right to vote, that I don't know how we change it. It's it's too big. And as I watched the documentary, I kept being reminded of another documentary called Too Big to Fail about the housing bubble and the banking bailouts of 2008. And I thought about that because this issue feels the same way. It feels hopeless to change how we systemically destroy communities of people of color and break the lives of individual people of color. We would have to literally start our entire financial system from scratch. We would have to rewrite laws for corporations and banks and reconstruct how lawmakers write policy. We would have to penalize greed in the highest levels of the political office. And this change is overwhelming and seems too big. It is too big. The overwhelming, breathless, hopeless feeling of the weight of what we need to change as an entire society is so large. And then it hits me. A lot of black people already know this. Most black people already know this. And just like the racism built into our country is systemic, the hopelessness of fixing this problem is built into the communities of the very people the system is rigged against. It's fucked up. So I sat with this and I slept on it. And when I woke up, uh, I started to read white fragility, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. And I mean, let me start by saying that I think every single white person I know should read this book. Every single one. I don't care your age group. I don't care how many fucking black friends you have. Every fucking white person in this world should read this book. Uh, especially, (laughs) You know, and I cannot stress this enough, especially the white people who continue to say that they are not racist. This is a superb starting point for white people to address their inherent racism and more importantly, to not put it onto people of color to explain it to us and take on the burden of our feelings. The word racist or racism conjures up images of lynch mobs and white hoods and people marching with tiki torches chanting some random methodical bullshit about their superiority. We equate racism with bad people, and so when the subject comes up, we automatically put ourselves on the defensive. Uh, it's, it's literally natural for us to do that. But what this book helps to break down is that racism and being a good person are not mutually exclusive. 
you can be racist and still be a good person. Now, that's not saying that any of the people I already mentioned weren't terrible people. But all of those are extreme examples of racist behavior. What is less addressed, but perhaps the larger problem, is that white people are not ready to address their own racism. Racism is so embedded into our society. As a white person, you almost can't help but be racist. There are things ingrained into how you react to things and how you don't even think about things that are racist. It's in the comments about which neighborhoods are bad or which school to send your kids to or what areas you outline on a map when you're doing a home search. It's staying silent when your friend looks around the room before leaning in close and saying, so this black guy walks into a bar. It's in our complacency as a race. It's through this book and a lot of introspection throughout the last week that I can uncomfortably say that I am racist. I don't like it, and I try to identify it and combat it whenever it rears its ugly head, but to deny that I, a resident of one of the richest, whitest counties in a northern state, to deny that I don't have inherent racist tendencies that I don't even know, that's ignorant. And ignorance is the root of the problem, and it rests on us as individuals to be able to have a difficult conversation we have to have a difficult conversation with someone who really does not want to hear about it. And that's ourselves. We need to recognize our own shortcomings in a way that we have never dug deep enough to find and face them head on. We need to talk to ourselves and listen to others. I'm not going to summarize an entire documentary and book on this podcast, and I'm not going to stop learning either. I'm going to continue to educate myself and try to be a part of the conversation when I'm asked to and listen when I have the opportunity to. I hope this has given people some things to think about and resources to look into, but I want people to be better. I want myself to be better. I want our country to be better. It is a big problem. It's too big. It's so fucking big guys. But like maybe we can be bigger people and maybe that's the first step in a positive direction. Going forward, while the podcast is between seasons, I hope to segue this into larger conversations across race that we can make public as yet another resource for people to listen to and gain insight from. I love you guys, and I hope you are able to take some time to look at yourself and have that difficult conversation so that we may finally be able to have that difficult conversation with somebody else. Because until we have it with ourselves, it's not going to be that productive of a talk with anyone else. And I don't have all the answers. Fuck, I don't have any answers. But I have my own experiences and as this podcast has proven, I believe those experiences can be shared to help other people and fix things that are so very clearly broken. I am here. I am listening. I am ready to learn. And I'm ready to recognize my own shortcomings. And anybody that wants to help me find those in myself or talk about them and in, in their in themselves or educate me on what I don't know. Cause there's so much that I don't know. Please reach out. You can email me 
justinsfriendrequest at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram, either one of my accounts, um, friend request pod or Justin Lamb music. Just find me. This is, this is going to take everybody guys. It's, it's bigger than any group. It's bigger than any political party. It's going to take all of us.